Good to be with you this morning. Certainly grateful for the presence of each one. Glad that you're able to be here this morning and that you made it important to you to be here this morning. And it's just a, a blessing to be together with you. Many of you I have I, known for, for many years. Um, some of you I've just met this morning maybe, and it's always good to meet uh, new brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that I wasn't aware of. And it's always an encouragement to me. I just want to take a, just a minute to say thank you to this congregation. You probably get a letter from me every once in a while. Uh, you want it in the center. Man, Lee's kind of particular in how he wants stuff. All right, how's that? And uh, I just like to, when I get the opportunity, to personally tell you thank you for your support of our work. We do evangelistic work. I've been blessed to be able to do that for uh, near, nearly 20 years now. Uh, it's a great uh, blessing to me and my family to be a small part of, of the work of the church. And uh, we're able to do that to the extent that we are because of uh, congregations, brothers and sisters like you that aid us financially to be able to, to have that availability of schedule and to go around and do that evangelistic work. And we're grateful for that. And we, uh, we understand that that any success that we have in that is, is fruit to your account and that, with, that we're working together as as a body for the Lord to, to grow and to expand His kingdom. And uh, We've had some, uh, been blessed there at Bridgeport uh, where, where I attend when I'm not traveling around and we've had some growth and some good things going on. We appreciate this congregation. I remember uh, it's been many years, but the last time I was here, y'all were down the road a little bit. Um, so grateful for, for the growth and the, uh, good things that you have going on here in your community. That being said, I want to. Oh, you already got him. This morning, I, I put on the screen who is the Lord, and <clears throat> I want us to think about that. You know, it might seem like a silly question for us to ask. You say, "Well, we we've gathered together on the first day of the week, and we have we've sung songs of praise to the Lord, and we've gathered around the table, and we've done all these things, and then and then the guy that's preaching gets up and asks this question: Who is the Lord? Well, I think as we dig into the study a little bit this morning that we'll see the, the validity of the time that we spend covering this subject matter. You know, in our scripture reading this morning, it talked about a downward spiral of sin. A spiral that ultimately led to people being turned over by God to a, a castaway, a reject, a reprobate mind. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge, and so God gave them over to a mind where they could they could go on without God in their knowledge, that they could, they could cast that knowledge out of their lives. And when you go back up and you look at the very start of that cycle, it says, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. And that's where it started. As we gathered around the table this morning, we read another passage. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And he was talking about the things that we eat and the things that we drink and, and remembering Christ and, and communion and those things. So many times in our lives as we look at our lives and we examine our successes, we examine our failures, we do things and we say, why would I have done that? How did I end up failing in that way? I think when we back up and we begin to examine it, it comes down to some of the most basic things. Perhaps we briefly momentarily, however extended that period may have been, allowed ourselves to forget who the Lord was. 
And so that's why I want to talk about uh, the things that we're going to talk about this morning. You know, when someone asks that question, who is the Lord? I believe it was mentioned in our prayer this morning that there's instances where that might be a legitimate question. You might bring up the Lord to someone and they may say, well, well who is the Lord? We see in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And so Pharaoh asked this question, and I, I think early on when I read that passage, I always saw that as, a, as just a an arrogant defiance of Pharaoh that he's saying, I don't, I don't, the Lord's nobody to me. I'm not going to let Israel go based on this command of the Lord. But he comes out and he flat says this statement, I do not know the Lord. And by his actions and by the way that he continues to act and react to the commands of the Lord, it's evident that that statement is true. Because if he genuinely knew who the Lord was, there's no logic, there's no sanity to anything that he does after that point. See, he doesn't know who the Lord is. He doesn't understand who the God of heaven is. And the God of heaven is going to continue to instruct him in that as this, this passage goes on. And eventually, he has, he has no excuse. And that's what was concluded in Romans, wasn't it? No excuse. And Pharaoh comes to that point and he has no excuse to not know who the Lord is. We go up forward to the New Testament in Acts chapter 17. Let's pick up in verse number 22 there. In Acts 17, verse number 22, it says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim unto you. Disclaimer here, this dawned on me. Uh, this, this slideshow that I built is a New King James Version, just if you're wondering there, if you're following along the Scripture. So we've got uh, that issue. And the King James, he says, I perceive that you're very superstitious. And we use that word superstitious kind of with a negative connotation, right? It's kind of like you, you kind of, you know, you believe in these fairy tales and, and frivolous things like that. And it's kind of, it's kind of almost a maybe condescending type term, or it has those negative connotations with it. I don't believe that the Apostle Paul, and I believe it applies to their situation, but I don't believe his intention was to come in and to insult them and say, you guys, you guys believe in a bunch of hocus pocus. You guys are. His intention is to try to play off some common ground and say, you guys are interested in things spiritual, in things bigger than this life. And so he's trying to play off that common ground with them. And he says, I found this altar. And he says, the one you worship without knowing. And the King James says, ignorant, whom you ignorantly worship. And a lot of times that is considered as an insulting word to us today, right? Somebody might view that like the word stupid or something. That. Ignorant just means without knowledge. And that's what he says. He says, you worship this God without knowing. So what they were doing is in all of their various idol worship, somebody was that guy that says, let's cover all our bases. And he said, you know what, just in case we miss somebody, let's make an altar over here for any God that we may have missed, and that way all of our bases are covered and we're safe. You know, that's, we look at that and go, that's pretty good, that's pretty sound thinking, maybe. But that's not, really. The thing was is that this God that they worshipped without even knowing, that was the only true God. And all this other worship they were doing was vanity, it was a waste. 
And it was things that would anger the true and living God. But they didn't know Him. And He said, I'm going to take this opportunity to teach you about Him. I'm going to declare that God unto you. The God that you worship without knowing. One of the reasons that I think it's so important to talk about these things this morning amongst the church, amongst my brothers and sisters in Christ, is because the reality that that question, who is the Lord, is an unfortunate decision and conclusion that people come to that know the Lord full well. They know full well who the Lord is. In Proverbs 30, verse number 80 says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. A very real danger for anyone that lives in this nation that we live in. And you might not view yourself as a person who's rich. He says, don't give me poverty or riches, lest I be full. And so this is the case of the riches. He says, if I have riches, I might be full. I might have all of my needs and then excess on top of that. And what might happen? He said, and deny you and ask that question, who is the Lord? How many times do we see, and we think this is something maybe that only applies to the ultra-wealthy those billionaire class or things like that, but we see these individuals that they get so much fame, they get so much power and money that they, they come out and they have to make this public declaration that they no longer believe in God or a God. And they've outgrown those things in their minds. And that's a very real problem. It's a very real temptation. And we have a lot of blessings in this country. We have a lot of wealth, and you, you may look at it and go, yeah, but have you seen the price of gas? And have you seen the inflation? And do you know about what's going on in the news? We have a lot of blessings, and it's a very real danger that we can become full and arrogant and lifted up and get to that place where we, we might not audibly speak those words, but our lives and our actions show what we read about in Romans chapter 1, that though we know God, we didn't stop, we didn't glorify Him as God, we weren't thankful. We become vain in our imaginations and our heart becomes darkened. And that's a very real possibility and temptation. And we have to realize and recognize that. Verse 21 of that text, he says, They knew God. They did not glorify Him as God. And they weren't thankful. Down in verse 28, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. What does that mean? They didn't like that. Does it mean they didn't have opportunity? Let's say these people never had the privilege of learning about God. No. This is a question of preference, of what they wanted. I do not like Brussels sprouts. Now it's going to be a challenge. People are going to say, oh, come over to my house for lunch. You just haven't had them cooked the right way. If you cook them right, Brussels sprouts are great. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I've had them cooked every way. I don't like the way they smell when you're cooking them. But I can eat them. I can eat lots of things that I don't like. But it's about preference. I don't care for them. And that's what this is about. It's about preference. People get to a point in life where their preference is they don't want to think about God anymore. And what a terrible, unfortunate place to arrive at in one's heart and one's mind. And so it's important that we realize that that's a real challenge, that's a real temptation, and we don't put ourselves above 
the temptations that are common to man. And that we consider who the Lord is on a very regular basis. And that we examine the things that we do in this life in light of exactly who the Lord is. We notice that this idea uh, in, in the Proverbs, if I back up there, lest I be full and deny you, a denial. That's the reality of most people that ask that question, who the Lord is. There would be this small percentage, if we were to put it up on a, on a pie chart or something like that, there would be this small piece of the pie that people that could legitimately ask that question, and they're just asking for information's sake. They don't know who the Lord is. They haven't been taught. They haven't had opportunity. And the larger majority would be people who have been exposed to that truth, and their preference was to not think about God and not retain Him and their knowledge. That's the end goal of all the adversaries and the enemies of God. We see Satan as he attacks Job. He, he comes and he's, he's accusing and slandering God. He says, have you not made a hedge about Job and around his household and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he'll surely curse you to your face. And that word curse, that is that idea of a denial. It means it's defined as to renounce. And so that's what Satan's objective is here, is to strip Job of these blessings, these things that have caused him to be full, these things that can be a temptation if they're not properly handled, and have him renounce God. Have him come to that point where he says, who is the Lord that I should serve him? That's what Satan wants for. And so we realize that our adversary is working toward that end goal of having us to renounce God to not retain God in our knowledge. Again, he comes back in Job 2, verse number 5, Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face or renounce you. And that's, again, that's the desire, that's the objective that Satan had as he set out on these attacks. So this morning, it's important that we glorify the Lord. It's important that in order to do that, we need to, to be mindful and understand who the Lord is so that we can properly glorify Him and honor Him, and we can do that in a way that glorifies Him to those that are around us. First element that is important to understand that we see so commonly misconstrued in the world around us is this idea that the Lord, that the God of heaven, that His Son Jesus Christ, or any part of the Godhead is somehow likened to a man. And so people teach things that are wrong or incorrect or untrue about God because they're doing that from a human a worldly standpoint, and they're, they're assigning human characteristics to God or the Godhead. And it's important to understand that the Lord is not a man. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse 28, So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And the strength of Israel, referring to God, will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. God is not a man. He's not like a man. He's God. And if you look at Him like as if He were a man, then you're not going to be able to properly understand Him and properly honor Him and glorify Him as God. And so one of the most important foundations that we lay is that God's not a man. When we look at Him, Isaiah 57, verse number 15, the prophet Isaiah says, For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart 
of the contrite ones, high and lofty, who inhabits eternity. One of the things about God, and it's important for us to understand that He's not a man, is this statement that's made here by the prophet Isaiah. He says He inhabits eternity. And that's something that, a concept that we can wrap our mind around intellectually. It's not that difficult. We use that little symbol of the eight that's laying on its side to represent infinity. And that's what he's talking about. He inhabits eternity, time without end. And everything we do has this attached to it, right? It has time attached to it. We've got the clock on the wall. Lots of people are going, I hope this guy doesn't go on too long because we got lunch after this. Does he know what time lunch is? Do they have lunch at the same time in Texas as they do here in Arkansas? And I know about the clock. I was there when all four of my children were born, and each time one of them came into the world, there was somebody in that room, and their specific job was to take a time marker. And they called out a time. The day my twins were born, my, my dad's mother passed away that same day as I came out to deliver the news of their birth. My dad was learning of the loss of his mother. And you know what happened? Somebody went over there and they took a time marker. And they said, this is, this is the time of death. And from the time we come into this world to the time that we go out, we're bound and we're governed by time. We can't escape it. We start aging. We have the effects of that. We have a schedule. All of those things. And we look at those things and oftentimes we forget that God is not bound by time, He's the creator of time. Time is a measure of the rate of change. And God existed before that measure, before that marker even got put into place as we know it. And it's easy to basically understand the concept, and it's another level of difficulty to make application of that in our understanding of God. That He's not bound by the timeline, by the clock, by the watch the way that we are. That He's the creator of those things. And He's described thus as almighty or omnipotent. All-powerful. And again, just to state that and to say that, we go, oh, yeah, that's an easy concept to understand. It has all power. But to actually make application of that and to apply that to our understanding of who the Lord is, it takes a little bit more thought, a little bit more concentration to realize how significant that statement is. In Job 42, verse number 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Job had that understanding of how powerful God was. He says, I know. He didn't say, I'm pretty sure. He said, I know you can do everything. And that's the God of heaven. That's the God of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 19, verse number 6, we have this account. It says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. <coughs> pardon me and so here in the book of Revelation we see this glimpse we have this revelation that's given unto us that's written down for us we see this chorus in heaven singing this praise to the Lord to God hallelujah praise the Lord glorify him as God why because he's all powerful and he reigns He's in charge. He's on the throne. No purpose of His can be withheld from Him.
Do you, do you let that slip sometimes? When you're watching the news? When you're getting a little bit concerned about the things that are going on in the world? When you're starting to doubt? When you know what you're supposed to do, but you're having a little bit of trouble doing it, do you forget about those simple teachings in God's Word? In Proverbs 26, verse number 10, the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. He's taking care of things. And not just the church and His people. He's taking care of His creation. Even the people that are too foolish, too ignorant, too uninformed, too arrogant, too proud to realize that He's doing that. He's still taking care of things. In Psalms 148 and verse number 5, we have a, a song in the hymnal. Let them praise the name of the Lord for He commanded and they were created. I won't sing a solo this morning. You remember the song, Let them praises give Jehovah for His name alone is high. Look at the list there. If you're a note taker, if you got your Bible out, look at what he goes through when he says, let them praise the name of the Lord. He says the sun, the moon, the stars, the angels. And he lists all those elements of the creation. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded. He said words, and there they were. And interestingly enough, that's exactly what He's talking about in Romans, isn't it? Romans chapter 1. He commanded, and they were created. The things of Him from the foundation of the world. The invisible things. Things that couldn't be seen, but we have the evidence of them. We have them before us today. He commanded and they were created. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. A very powerful man had the opportunity to learn about the power of God. It's interesting when you study the vision of Daniel chapter 2, if you're familiar with that, and the revelation that's given there and how there was that great and terrible image and the head was of gold and so on and so forth, and that head of gold represented Babylon. And that kingdom, that great kingdom, and, and people have all these different ideas about what the greatest kingdom that it was, was. What does that vision tell us? That Babylon was that head of gold. And we think about who was the ruler of that great nation and how that ruler of that great nation becomes lifted up with pride and how he gets a lesson from his creator in humility. And he has that pride and that pomp and that power stripped away from him to the point where he's grazing around in a field like an animal. And the Lord restores him, and this is his conclusion. This is where he comes to after all that's happened. In verse four, <coughs> 34, chapter number 4, rather, it says, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation without time. His kingdom's not bound by time. It has no beginning and no end. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, what have you done? Nobody can. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom... My honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all of whose works are truth and His ways are justice, and those who walk in pride He is able to put down. All mighty, all powerful. You get over in the New Testament, Romans, I believe it's chapter 4, about verse number 20. Speaking of Abraham, talks about how he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able. And that's what we're talking about. The ability of God is without bounds. It's without measure. What he's promised, he's able to perform. He understood it. Abraham understood it. Do we understand it today? Are we confident and convicted that what God's promised, He's able to perform? The Scripture teaches that not only is God full of all power, that He's full of all knowledge as well. And it's important for us to recognize that, to properly honor and glorify Him as God. In Isaiah chapter 46, verse number 9, we're told of this fact in this way, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end of the thing from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And so, through that prophet Isaiah, God says, There's nobody, there's nobody like me. There's no being like me. And he shows that with his knowledge, the extent of his knowledge. He says, I can declare the end of the thing from the beginning. And through that prophet Isaiah, he issues, he's issuing a challenge to humanity. Search out, look, and see if you can find another being like that that can declare the end of the thing from the beginning and bring it to pass. And that's the challenge, if you will, that the Lord of heaven lays down that he issues to humanity. See if there's somebody else like that that knows that, that has that extent of knowledge. In Psalm 147, verse number 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Think about that. And you think about that as it pertains to God's creation. To humanity? To the church that the Bible tells us was there in the works and the plans before the foundation of the world? And we come along to the family unit. And we come along to the church. And we come along to all these things that are institutions of God. And we approach them like, well, maybe he didn't think about everything that would be going on in 2022. How foolish is that? How ridiculous is that? The great God that formed everything, that knew the end of the thing from the beginning and brought it to pass. To act like that we need to modify or change his plan or, or maybe something slipped past him that he didn't think of or plan for. It's almost laughable if it wasn't so arrogant and insulting to the great God of heaven to think that way. Isaiah 40, 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is unsearchable. I read a book... Uh, that was uh, talking about a lot of these ideas and attacks on, on the, the truth of God's creation and the truth of, of human origins and all of those things. And it accounted 
a, a statement by Albert Einstein. I don't have any way of verifying that and knowing how accurate that, that statement is. But the story goes that while Albert Einstein was doing his formula of, of relativity and all of the great scientific impact that all that had, that he had a little, a little glitch in his calculations. And he, he wasn't, wasn't getting the result that, that he needed and eventually that they came to understand. And he had this opportunity to go and look through this Hubble telescope, I believe that it was, and, and to examine this evidence of this expanding universe and all these things. And, and it's said there that he, he comes to this point where he kind of, I guess if you would say he might put his hat in his hand a little bit, and, and he concedes to the idea of a creation. And he makes the statement that he wanted to know the thought of God. He said, I want to know God's thought. The rest are details. You know, I don't know how many great minds there have been in the world that compare, that can go that level. I look at some of the things that he thought of that went through his mind in his spare time, and I, I realize my mind is not, it's not anywhere near that level. I, I, I try to basically understand some of that stuff, and it's past me. But just that concept, that statement that I want to know God's thought, I want to understand what God understands, if you will. That's a statement of ignorance and arrogance. And it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of knowledge of who the Lord is. Because we're told in His Word, His understanding is unsearchable. It's infinite. And Romans 11, verse number 33 says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Now that's difficult for arrogant humanity to swallow, to say there's something out there that's beyond me that I can't sit down and, and investigate and search out and completely wrap my mind around and understand. You struggle with that sometimes? I'm going to analyze this and I'm going to figure it all out. And the Scripture comes out and tells you, you're not going to be able to figure out what God knows because He's not a man. On your best day, on Einstein's best day, he's not going to be able to get to that point. In Psalms 104, verse number 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. How many are the Lord's works? We could talk about them all morning this morning. The psalmist says, how manifold are your works. And here's the important part of that. He says, in wisdom you've made them all. Every thing that the Lord has done has been done with a level of wisdom, with a level of understanding, with a level of knowledge that is so deep, that is so rich, that's so vast, that's so beyond you or me or Einstein or the greatest counsel that men could ever put together that it's nothing short of foolishness and arrogance and pride that would ever question any of His design, any of His structure. Be that for the church, be that for the family, be that for society and governments and all of those things. The great God that formed everything, He's done it all in wisdom. And it's all a wisdom that's much deeper than we could ever obtain to. Attain to, excuse me. Psalms 100 and verse number 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. Know the Lord, that the Lord, He is God. He is God. And it is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. What was the problem? What was the great temptation? Because Romans chapter 1, when they knew, they knew Him, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful. 
They became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. What did they do? They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And that's what we're doing when we depart from God's will. We're forgetting who the Lord is. We're forgetting how high and lifted up He is. We're forgetting how mighty and knowledgeable and wise that He is. And we're going about and we're serving ourselves, our own selfish and sinful desires. In Hebrews 4, verse number 13, he says, There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so when we talk about the knowledge of God, it's important for us this morning, especially as we gather around the table, as we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ together, that we make that reality of the knowledge of God very, very personal. Because it's true. Because we can talk about the wisdom and knowledge of God as far as Him framing the universe and and all His great might and power and how that He's in control and how we can take comfort and peace from that. But what we need to understand as well is He knows the secrets of our heart. It's an open book before Him. And so we convince ourselves when we have secret sin that nobody knows, that this isn't hurting anybody else. That this is, this is just us. This is just our issue. That the, and our heart's an open book before God. And there's nothing that He doesn't know about. And so, if your heart's not right with God, if you've convinced yourselves or been convinced of one of those lies that no one knows, then the truth is, is you've forgotten, you've let it slip who the Lord is. Because He knows everything. And he knows you through and through, inside and out. In First Chronicles 28, verse number 9, David is telling Solomon, his son, he says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. Know Him. Know who the Lord is. And serve Him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will cast you off forever. He knows. He understands. Sometimes I look at the things that I've done and I say, why did I do that? I don't understand how I could have been so foolish. I don't understand why I even made that choice. And you may not, but you know who does know, who does understand? The Lord does. And He's not going to be mocked. Don't be deceived. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 tells us that. It warns us of that. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In Psalms 139, verse number 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down are unacquainted with all my ways. Psalm 69 and 5, O God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. And so when we make that application and we bring it down to a very personal level, it's important to understand that God knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly where I'm at. And it's time for you and Him to get on the same page. You better be in the same place that He's at. Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Remember who the Lord is. He knows what's in your heart. He knows where you stand before Him. Not only is He all-powerful and all-knowing, but He's a God that the Scripture teaches is present. He's all-present. 
In 1 Kings 8, verse number 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. And so Solomon comes to the completion of this temple, and he's in what we might call the dedication of that, and he's praying, and he's built this glorious, magnificent, laden with gold temple that's a spectacle, that's a splendor for all the world to see. And he says, this is, he says, it's not like you're going to come live in this little building. He says, I know that this little building that I've built, it can't hold you, it can't contain you. He's not containable like that. He's not a man. Acts 17, verse number 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since He's Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. We have that simple teaching. Solomon understood it when he built that temple. Apostle Paul taught it again here in the New Testament. <laughs> he says, Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. And so when we talk about an all-powerful, all-knowing God, it might be discouraging in a sense to say, well, this God is is out of reach. He's out of touch. He's, he's, he's unattainable to us because we're feeble. And we're sinful. But the knowledge that this all-powerful, all-knowing God wants you to have is that He's not far. He's not far away and He wants you to seek Him. And if you seek Him, just like David told Solomon, if you seek after Him, you'll find Him. And that's the knowledge that God wants us to have. He wants us to understand that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In Hebrews 11, verse number 6, without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, we can find this God. We can seek Him and we can find Him and we can understand that He rewards those that do that. And so we can do that in hope. And so this morning as we bring our study to a close and we talk about who the Lord is, it's important that we glorify Him as God. And all that we do, as we mentioned, as we get around this table this morning, that we don't let that, we don't let that happen where we fail to glorify Him as God. He's not a man. He's different. He's all-powerful. I have anxiety up there. It's a big problem. I was doing a study on the, the amount and the extent of people that are severely affected by anxiety. You ever battle with that a little bit? What am I going to do? What are we going to do? You know what the Scripture says? Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing in Philippians. But by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made on, known unto the Lord. When we become overwhelmed, we have those cares. We have those times in life where that's going to be the challenge. We see our own Savior as He approached Calvary, sweating as it were great drops of blood. I don't know what to call that if you don't call that a little bit of anxiousness. But we also see Him responding exactly how we're taught to respond in the Scripture. By going to His Father in prayer. 
going to His Father in faith and saying, not my will, but Thine. So when we become overly anxious, I'd ask the question, did you forget who the Lord was? Because whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in this world around us, God's still God. He's still sitting on His throne in heaven. And He's still in control. And He's still able to keep every single promise that He's ever made. And no one can ask Him what He's doing. No one can stay His hand. No one can keep Him from coming through. What about when you think you've got a better idea? What about when you think about, you hear people maybe changing the design of the home and the family and the church or whatever the case might be. Any number of areas you could make application in this morning. When you start thinking a little too highly of yourself, I would ask you, did you forget who the Lord was? Did you forget about the great God in heaven that knows everything about you? And every failure of your life, He knows all your weaknesses. He knows how feeble you are. Did you forget about that? When you're afraid, did you forget that He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Did you forget who the Lord was? When you become lazy, did you forget that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him? And so this morning, and as you go through the coming week, Lord willing, I present the thoughts to you, and I would encourage you and plead with you, never forget who the Lord is. Jeremiah 2, verse number 32. And this really ought to make these thoughts stick home. This, this really ought to, to make us take this question this morning of who is the Lord with us and begin to apply it in these exact situations that I've brought to your attention this morning. In Jeremiah 2, verse number 32, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? That's the question that gets put forth. And I want to ask you this morning, how many weddings do you think there have been in the history of man where the bride showed up and everything's ready to go and the ceremony's ready and the preacher's ready and the audience is there and all the family's there and the bride says, you know what, I forgot my dress. I, it never even crossed my mind. How many times do you think that's happened? I'm going to submit that it's been very, very few, if any. Because that's the rhetorical question that God puts forth. You think the bride's going to forget her wedding dress on her big day? Can that even happen? And he says, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. What a sad statement. And how much sadder when it applies to you and to me. When we forget who the Lord is, and we don't act like we're supposed to act because of who the Lord is. The great God who formed everything is still God. He's still reigning in heaven, and He's still in control. And He's going to keep every promise that He's ever made, including those of the certainty of judgment, including rewarding those that diligently seek Him, and including punishing with everlasting destruction those who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have any kind of spiritual need, we never like to close a service without offering the Lord's invitation.
If you have some kind of spiritual need, whether that be obedience to the gospel or prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ on your behalf, if you'll let that be known by having a seat on the front pews while together we stand and sing.